43 years after the first Kong shocked theaters, Hollywood and an Italian film production takes another stab at the larger than life king of the kaiju. But will this movie reinvigorate the genre or will it drown itself in clones and copycats? Well, you can find out this week. This is Kaiju versus History King Kong. Welcome back to Kaiju vs. History. This is your Petrox oil representative here, Miles. And joining me is a ditzy castaway, more Faye Dunaway than Faye Ray, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. It, it, this does feel a little bit of kind of an apex, an apex of the 1970s, <laughs> Miles. We started uh, this decade so strong with some Godzilla films, and now we're just drowning in monkey fur. <laughs> well, yeah, no, the, the beginning of the 70s is definitely home to a Gamera and a Godzilla, but the, the end of the decade here is we've got a cyclone of around King Kong, and yeah, it's been a while since I've revisited this film. We were talking before we started recording that we we'd both watched this when we were younger. This might have been actually, you know, the first King Kong in any form that I had seen growing up. I don't think I'd ever watched the originals outside of just clips and things. So for yeah, all, all intents and purposes, I, this was probably my King Kong. I, I well, so here's the thing, and this this actively talks about the legacy of the film is this was the King Kong that was the basis for the Universal Studios King Kong, which is the King Kong of our childhoods. I got to go on that ride when I was a kid. It's pretty awesome. I think I was too scared when I went. I was probably like five or six. Like I I remember being on back. I I have no memory of King Kong. I remember being in line, but I think I chickened out. I think I chickened out of Jaws, but I was down for Kong. <laughs> so maybe that explains a little bit of me. I don't know if we if we went on Jaws or not. I do remember Back to the Future, but this this is a a very definitive Kong for several reasons. And I, I but like I was telling Patrick, I think my first my first active Kong memory is watching like a late night production on USA Network, probably USA Up All Night, of mm-hmm. King Kong Lives. I think it has to be because it was a lot more kind of violence and gore oriented than this film was. And this is this is an odd film because I think this film is really, really smart. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's not intentionally smart, if that makes any sense. (laughs) I think this film has a lot to say because of what is presented to us. I don't think it was the filmmaker's intention to present this to us as commentary. They do a great deal and they add a lot to the Kong meta narrative. I feel like in rewatching this, there there's a lot more of this Kong in Peter Jackson's than I thought before, which which is very interesting. But they they, they certainly do a lot to give Kong personality and mm-hmm. um an emotive nature and 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 for that I think that's what makes this movie what helps it succeed and what helps it last in the public consciousness. But what's interesting about this movie and and we're going to talk about it a little bit is I think this movie makes a lot of 
public or um, political commentary. And I think it's a lot of it's accidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, well, I, I think it's 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 celebrating certain things. But in that celebration, it's it's actively kind of condemning them mm-hmm. from a modern perspective, at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but before before we get too deep into that, Patrick, tell us what, if anything, is in a title. <laughs> I mean, not much to say about this one, but yeah, like the film before it and the next full Hollywood remake in 2005 that i just mentioned peter jackson's they were all just called king kong very simple just like the original film but yeah the that was kind of dropped and the origin story in general was changed up for the next iteration of kong kong skull island in in 2017 which you were you were here visiting Boston when that movie came out. I'm so sad we didn't see it together. I know. So I was that was, I was such a crazy film. I was actively talking to Krista about this because she was asking if we had seen uh, Skull Island in theaters, and I was like, no, because that was the same month that like Logan came <laughs> out and Power Rangers came out, and like, <laughs> I think I saw Power Rangers in, like, in theater. Of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything came out in like March of 2017, and we just happened to miss that one. I, I caught it like when it came home, and it. I mean, spoiler, my favorite Kong movie, but I mean, as, as a non Kong fan and that, and that's something I have to like, you know, I think everyone who's, who's continued to listen to the show knows I'm not a big giant ape guy. I'm also not a massive Kong fan. So I'm a tougher sell. And yeah, but I, I I'm kind of bummed that we didn't get to, I think we had talked about going to see Kong Skull Island, but yeah, like was, no, was, no one after PAX was in the mood to go see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was during PAX weekend, Penny Arcade Expo up here. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I I really wish we had just even like a midnight area <laughs> show that gets out at midnight would have been a, a lot of fun. This movie, King Kong, just the way that sequels with the exact same title goes is often called King Kong 1976 or 76 King Kong. Uh, sometimes I mean, it's as a Halloween fan. I, I totally yeah. understand because there are <laughs> three films titled halloween yeah yeah and uh i mean the the ghostbusters was the same way it's like just name just give it a subtitle it's fine uh when you're doing just a completely new retake on the origin i can understand not wanting to do something else but often this is also referred to as de laurentis's king kong which which makes sense i mean we've talked in passing about Dino De Laurentiis because of all the litigation for other attempts <laughs> at doing Kong or a Kong ripoff. And, and, and that's something that set this, sets us apart from a lot of the movies that we have watched for a lot of this podcast is this is, I, I would say, probably the first like full-on big-budget American Hollywood movie that we are actively talking about. Just about everything we did in the 50s outside of some of the Ray Harryhausen big productions were B films, you know, <laughs> not and, and literally, well, even the Toho movie. stuff. I mean, you know, because Japan was a little bit, you know, behind in some of the special effects stuff to compare it to some of the Hollywood productions, even though, you know, they were doing different things. Yeah. This the, the the amount of money that went in those those movies was a little bit different. Like, I mean, King Kong had a twenty four million dollar budget. Dude, this was it a is massive movie. The, the whiplash of g- coming going from Queen Kong to King Kong is so extreme. It's mm-hmm. such a a massive wild swing. And even before that, 
War God and Ape and the, the previous weeks going from these micro budget by comparison films to definitely the most money that we have seen and we probably will see for probably I mean until probably 1998's Godzilla you know uh yeah I mean and and De Laurentiis is I mean a big name producer I mean he's done yeah. stuff all over the board whether you're into horror or romance oh. or we're, we're going to talk about even, Dino. He he looms as large as King Kong in, in yeah. this film's history. But, but before we get off the, the title, though, I did want to say this movie is just called King Kong throughout the world because the name recognition from four decades prior is still so huge that you didn't need to translate it really into many other languages. Just those two words were enough. It did get some different titles like the adventures of king kong and its greek release and king kong the legend reborn reborn in, in a post-release i didn't want to talk about the taglines for this film not something i we normally literally do. wanted to bring that up just now because <laughs> so I, I actually um there's a poster dealer that comes through a different conventions and he we almost bought this movie poster not for me but my partner krista she she grew up watching this movie all the time with her dad mm-hmm. and so she's a she's a big fan of this particular version of King Kong, and he had an original theater theater original folded mm. poster of this movie for like 150 bucks, oh, and probably worth it, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we we didn't do it at the time, but it's absolutely worth it. That poster is just so crazy of Kong straddling the so the, the World Trade Center, Quentin yeah. Towers, yeah, yeah, and well, so it, it's funny because I mean. And this this guy is is the real. I've been buying this guy this guy's posters for like my entire life. I used to go to like different <laughs> trade shows and see this guy there. And but that tagline, the most exciting original motion picture event of all time, is and also every, one of the greatest love stories of our time. Yeah, every single time I see that tagline, and I'm like, most original motion picture event. I'm like, this movie's a remake. Uh, I mean, it's it, every single time I see it, I'm just like, this movie's a remake. In the grand history of like, is this a remake or is it a reboot or is it a blah, blah, blah? This is full on remake. They've changed some of the characters here and there, but like plot wise. Yes. It's so pretty beat that, for beat. That's a great point, because this this movie does attempt to modernize the story of King Kong. Yeah. So, yeah, but let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the the film itself. Yeah. So this one, I, I think, smartly decides. All right. We're not going to do the same thing, exact same thing as 1933s in terms of why these characters are here. And we're going to respond to, you know, the current gas crisis going on. So we have this this whole group who's looking for oil. And I actively really enjoy this aspect of the story. I I like they like that kind of modernization. They don't like beat you over the head with it. They're like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And it makes all the sense in the world. And even the way that not Anadero, it's Dwan. Dwan. Which, which is this weird commentary on what actors and actresses do. It's a little inside baseball in Hollywood too much, I think. Yeah. Um, played by Jessica Lane, her first film role. I think she was a, kind of a New York model at the time who had no acting experience. Mm-hmm. And I mean, has gone on to like win all of the awards. Breakout role. I mean, we'll talk more about her later, but just does so well in this film. 
And we yeah. we we, ha- we have a a pre Beethoven Charles Grodin. Of course, yes. Yeah, I, I <laughs> that's, how was, I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to talk about him because that's, that was my introduction to Charles Grodin was Beethoven. I thought he was fairly young here, but he's like, you know, almost 40, I think, at this point still. No, and he's I mean, he's great. And then Jeff Bridges just I mean, who will never not be Jeff Bridges in a movie? I mean, he's he's so charismatic in this film. It's he, so he hard. Is, but he's like in his young like roles. Him. He's kind of a consummate like hippie, like even yeah, in Sean, yeah. the way he talks about. Um, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. The way he this talks about programming as character. jazz is the most hippie way to put it. And like he's just, but he's this most love. Yeah. He's the most lovable hippie because Jeff Bridges is so charismatic. He's so passionate in his delivery that you can't help but love him. And yeah, so, so a little different there. He's a primatologist, a, a primate yeah. paleontologist, and and she is an actress, but under different circumstances than Faye's yeah. character in the original Kong. Yeah, it's pretty um, it's pretty great because like she's on this yacht and the whole reason she's like not killed with everyone else is because the, the yacht, they just say it explodes. They don't really necessarily say what happens, but everyone else is watching, in, uh, watching uh, Deep Throat. A, a porn movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and she's like, no, thanks. And goes to look at the stars. I, I, I do want to mention, and this is only because I know this this actor, but. And I can't. I'm. I'm always bad with pr- pronouncing uh, his last name. <laughs> Rene Aubergeois. Yes, Odo <laughs> from Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping to get more of him in this movie. He's he's in it very uh, very. But briefly. every time he's on screen, it, he's chewing up scenery. <laughs> he's great. He's great. Uh, he he's a good foil early on to to Charles Grodin because he's like a, the one of the scientists kind of characters and um, does have some good lines. But yeah, Charles Grodin as as Fred S. Wilson is not a real good replacement for uh, you know from the the nineteen thirty three. Well, he's not Charles Denham. Yeah, he he's not a, a replacement, but he's like it fills that role kind of for a character. I mean, he's, like he's the charge. reason you have the expedition and yeah, I, I, again, I like having this, this oh. type of replacement because I think it helps with the film's accidental anti-colonial and anti-capitalist message that it doesn't mm-hmm. mean to give, but it absolutely gives. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is a good update you mentioned, yeah, the the 1973 oil crisis. So this is coming on the heels of that. So if a company were to find a untapped oil reserve, like on this figments or imaginary island that they had to, you know, study history to to find, the 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 closest we do get to allegory is Charles Grodin's character in Fred Wilson being kind of. A stand in for America at that time, just like looking for new markets, looking for new oil wells to drill, that kind of thing. And it fits in with a lot of the themes of all kaiju, great kaiju films, man versus beast, old world versus new world, uh, that kind of thing. And and he's not really played as a villain in this movie. He's yeah, I mean, he's he is. Played as crass, greedy, and for sure, greedy. But he, I, I would say he's is act. He's not actively a villain, and yeah. but at the same time, you get a huge immense of satisfaction when Kong stomps on him. <laughs> well, this is it's so funny you mentioned that. That was not actually his ending. There's a, a scene of when I, I guess Kong lifts his head up. His hat is crushed. Uh, that's the only 
bit that you see of him and supposedly he jumps out of the way in the original cut and they showed that to test audiences and they were like boo <laughs> so they reconfigured that shot to make it seem like he got squished Stomped. which is it's so funny to me but yeah they don't they don't really play him as, as a as a super mean character but well, i yeah, think it's but- smart because i mean one the best villains don't think they're villains and yeah. and carl Denham in a way really the villain of the movie but well he is and he isn't depending on their perspective Mm -hmm. i mean he's certainly playing the hyper capitalist like i mean when yeah when jack prescott is trying to pull out he's like you know oh we're gonna owe that we gave you an advance you know we talks about contracts and when dewan is tempted to the same he kind of threatens her as well and again so he's not the worst of the worst but he's not Mm -hmm. a great dude either yeah, not, I, I mean, we, we Which, definitely I mean, agree there. If you're talking about someone representing America, that, that that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I was about to say he is he's a great representative for that. Yeah. So this film started production before they even had the rights for King Kong from Arcade. Yeah, that's that's an active that's a point of Dino, interest for me. Dino De Laurentiis original. He's like, yeah, no, we're going to have those rights. Don't worry. Let's let's get to shooting. <laughs> well, because I mean, and copyright law has cut, become so far. And because I, I know Universal was was immensely interested in making this movie as well. And yep, they had they, their they, own scripts and in story that was going to be a a time piece, period piece set in the 1930s. So like a full recreation of the original Kong. Um, but obviously they their their legal ground for trying to get that into production was they were going to make a film based on the screenplay or the novelization. Right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. What, some some loophole like that. <laughs> and but also call it King Kong, <laughs> the character's name, King Kong. And I think at that point, <clears throat> the statute of limitations or, or you know, whatever for allowed that to possibly be in like a more public domain situation but yeah the the courts did not agree with them so but uh, Dino De Laurentiis pushed forward they were originally going to start filming in mid-April of 1976 for a Christmas release and they pushed it forward to January so they started filming in LA New York and Hawaii is is where we see Skull Island in this film. I, I could have sworn it just looks so much like Peter Jackson's New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this this has got to be Hobbit land, right? But no, they are in a very beautiful Hawaii for that. And yeah, before yeah. they started filming, they didn't even have the the special effects in, in the mechanical apes were not finished by this time. So yeah, let's let's talk about that ape because so one of one of my sticking points on every giant ape movie that has come out since King Kong and even even Money Joe Young, um, mm-hmm. ha- anyone and especially involving a guy in a suit has looked like absolute dog do. And man, I got to say the ape in this movie looks incredible. Like King Kong I mean, looks pretty great for pseudomation. It, it looks like an actual creature you know it, it looks like an actual ape and it they've and, and just... those animatronic faces are are part of the reason why those animatronic yeah. faces that that emote and the eyes that they used are fun like they're, they're they are so good 
And yeah. even as someone who is not a Kong guy, th- those things pull the heartstrings. They do they do their job. Even when the movie is not its best, it doesn't matter so long as Kong is, is doing his job. And I, I will say this, in, in this film, Kong does his job. Even when there's mm-hmm. some awkward scenes where it's like full body Kong, looking a little awkward, you're trying to like swipe at, at Jeff Bridges on the cliff or... Even when you see these like two doofy looking feet that Jessica Lang is kind of like leaning against in the ship hole, like, <laughs> the, 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 the shots, the, the of full size Kong's feet are very face, fun. <laughs> yeah, the, the shot of Kong's face works, and I, I mean, I think the entire yeah. movie owes everything to the fact that the, the the emotive expressions on Kong's face work. Kong was designed by Carlo Rambaldi who would go on to do the head special effects for the Xenomorphs and Alien. He made E.T. He did special effects in Dune and basically created my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Just tons of sci-fi fantasy creatures. I I suggest you go look him up. He is going to win a Academy Award for his effects in this film. And which is this the first Academy Award winning movie that we have in the podcast? I think so, but it's also, yeah, one of the the firsts in, I think, this uh, this category. But yeah, as far as the Sudamation goes, I agree with you. King Kong looks great. They do things with making Kong into a character that I think do push the kaiju format, you know, genre forward a little bit, but also Kong as a character. You know, the you know, one of the last times we saw an actual Kong was King Kong escapes. And, you know, he's, he's a character in that movie, but there's just so much emotion that's brought to him in, in this role. And I I will say, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to talk about equal credit going to Rick Baker, who wore the ape suit and has done so many things in terms of makeup and special effects. I mean, uh, the exorcist, uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, American War from London, like massive pieces that use yes. makeup effects. <laughs> I, I knew it was somewhere in my notes. He he won the original Oscar. So the first time it was ever given for Rick Baker, uh, the best makeup category for American Werewolf in, in Paris. So fully deserved. That's just five <laughs> years after this film comes out. But yeah, he did the the suitmation he was in the suit he wore the contacts for for kong was not credited <laughs> for that role he was just you know part of the special effects yeah team, i think but yeah he has since gone on <laughs> from 1981 to win six more oscars and we are going to see him again and he helped with the mighty joe young remake in 1999 which i you know i know i've seen Parts of that movie because that's the one with uh, Shelley's there on, right? Yes, very. I know I've seen parts Shelley's. of it. I don't. I don't know if I've actively seen that entire film. Well, it's a good thing it's on I the Disney list. <laughs> yes, uh, they're like, hey, we have you know rights to this. I guess at that point, almost. I mean, hey, it's film. it's it's the highest ranking monkey movie for me. So <laughs> <laughs> the thing that Carlo Rambaldi worked on that didn't work for this movie literally and figuratively was the life-size mechanical Kong that we get to see for in the film, maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds that is at the, the fairgrounds or, you know, the, the, the Petrox, you know, 
reveal of, of King Kong in in the movie. What does work though, I do like the the hand props, the giant hand props that Jessica really good. Lang is is often in and they used her or an actress, you know, her size when they were building it to scale everything else about the production. So they started with a human and they wanted to make sure consistently that Kong holding her made sense when you go out into the different scales. So if we see a full size Kong, that that will work. If we have her and Kong's face in the same shot with like a blue screen kind of effect, make sure that works. Yeah, it it, it works very well. I, I didn't know this until doing the research. The vocalizations for Kong were done by none other than Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Yeah. Optimus Prime. <laughs> I, I was very happy to find that. <laughs> Yeah, even though I, I saw somewhere else that one of his roars was used from a Lost World film adaptation. So it was a, a recycled, uh, a canned kind of sound effect. You can tell when they use that one, too. There's a couple times where like there, some of them sound like, oh, this is like actively recorded recently. And some of them sound like, yeah, oh, this sounds a little. Yeah, this sound this sounds reused. Uh, I was just telling you before we started recording, I was watching all the Indiana Jones movies and those have such a great soundscape to them but mm-hmm. every once in a while you're like oh there's a wilhelm scream <laughs> like they just they had uh they they used it like in every single indiana jones movie <laughs> so it's uh it's fun to to pick out Let, let's talk more about the people behind this movie we, we mentioned dino de Laurentiis a little bit is an italian-american film producer with over 300 films to his credit he, mm-hmm. he was basically making films for about 70 years from World War II up until about 2007. And then he had some films come out posthumously even as well. So pretty big movies in his catalog. But I would say even more amazing than that are the directors he helped kind of bring to the forefront. He gave people like David Lynch and Sam Raimi, David Cronenberg, uh, some some big shots, some big chances and... Uh, yeah, we have him to thank for Halloween so, 2. <laughs> well, that's a whole other can of worms that uh, we can talk about on a different I'll, podcast. A ton I, I will, of Stephen I will, I will King say, films. I will say, I think Sam Raimi is an interesting one because like Evil Dead 2 was likely going to get made with right. or without De Laurentiis. But David Lynch is an interesting one because I think he did. I think didn't he produce Blue Velvet as well as Dune? He produced a couple of David Lynch films. Yeah, but like the fact that Dune like made it off the ground is insane. <laughs> the history of that yes, entire movie absolutely. is insane. And Dino De Laurentiis tapped a a director who'd just come off of Towering Inferno, uh, John Gellerman, to to lead this picture. And he he's also going to come back for the sequel in 1986, which I think would be his last theatrical released film. You've seen Towering Inferno before. Yeah. I have. And I actually wanted Classic. to talk about that a little bit, not the Towering Inferno specifically, but mm. I think that the genre for the American audience, I don't think that this was attractive as a kaiju film. Obviously, because they, they probably have never even heard that word in 1976, but more as in line with the disaster films, because in, in the 1970s, the disaster film was king. And mm-hmm. they were often Oscar bait. You also you often had a lot of acclaimed actors coming together for these movies that gave you good drama, but also extremely amazing special effects. Whether it was air, the airport franchise, the Tower mm-hmm. of Inferno, the Poseidon Adventure, the, a, a lot of these movies were 
in vogue as the the thing. And and they died out after the 70s and kind of came back in the 90s. And Roland Emmerich has you know made a career off of several of those. Yeah, um, but I mean, this is this is a crest of a wave of special effects that are going to mm. really kick off in the following year with Star Wars. Obviously, yeah, Star no, absolutely. Wars is going and, to and this, blow this up kind of. Well, I mean, but see, this and then the year prior, Jaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have those animal attack movies, but these two were much more prestige, even though having recently watched a documentary on jaws and what a nightmare that production was for everyone involved. (laughs) Yeah. Um, they, they wanted to do probably a King Kong remake, you know, multiple times, but I'm glad they did wait as long as they did because, Oh yeah. You you can tell that the money that they invested and the technology that they created was put to good use. Like this doesn't look like a 76 film when you, you know, I mean, it does. It looks movies. like a '76 film. If you know what a '76 film with money looks like, well, that's that's the thing that this this is advanced by a few years because well, of how much they were able to do technically. That's why I was comparing it to the disaster films that were in vogue at the time because those movies were ones that used a lot of money mm-hmm. and made a lot of money for the most part. Um, yeah. And, and the towering front was certainly one of them. I'm a, I'm actually a really big fan of the airport franchise. Yeah. Um, I think there a lot of them are very good films. I think it's 75. Is that the one where the, the plane is actively under the ocean? That's, that's my favorite one. <laughs> um, so, and it's got like, I mean, random, like Jack lemon and Christopher Lee. And I mean, just these insane casts. And, yeah. and so for me, King Kong is kind of like that where you have, you know, a really great cast. You have a lot of money being spent on the production itself. And that that far and away, I mean, when you watch this movie from the way the ship looks, from even the island sets, because there are certain scenes where you're like, oh, this is 100% a set. Oh, man. But yeah. everything looks fantastic. The costuming is great. Kong looks phenomenal. I wish they spent a little bit money, more money punching up the script. But <laughs> well, they they tapped a writer named Lorenzo Simple Jr., who based just on De, Dino De Laurentiis, also produced a film starring Robert Redford called Three Days of the Condor, which which I, is an excellent movie. I've never seen it, but it, it sounds oh, great. It's it's really, really good. Lorenzo Simple, you might best know today as being the original creator of the 1966 Batman TV series. Um, also wrote Flash Gordon. Uh, yeah, yeah, Flash Gordon. I would just say Batman 66 is just so iconic. I mean, it, it absolutely is. Not a lot of the camp of that film from, or the, that TV series from a decade earlier made it into the 76 film, but uh, I think he did it. I think he did a good job. There are some dialogue issues, I feel like, but... The thing is, even with a sometimes bad it script, feels like a Batman sixty six <laughs> with, with a bad dialogue, you know, written script. They have these great actors giving the lines, so it's like so 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 often I do not care. You know, Jeff Bridges is, can can read the phone book and absolutely. The soundtrack for the film was done by John Barry, which in my mind he is one of the old time greats. He's going to go on to win Academy Awards. One of my favorite films he did was. Dances with Wolves. I knew you were going to say that. Classic. <laughs> I knew he you were going to say that. He's best known as the composer for the original James Bond films. I think like the first five or six James Bond movies, he he did the the iconic 
Bond soundtrack, you know, dun, 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 dun. This is, it works. The soundtrack mm-hmm. for this film, nothing it, memorable, but it's, it's confident. No, if that it, makes sense, there's not like a Kong suite. There's not a song, right? There's, there's like motifs that play throughout the film, you know, like the Island and, and things like that. Very sweeping kind of adventure and a soundtrack that probably works better for like a romance movie, but that is actually what this film is. It is a, a long winded, maybe three way or not three way, but a (laughs) two, two figures vying for the, the heart of, of one Jessica Lang as, as Dwan, (laughs) no last name, by the way, Dwan, just Dwan, like, like Prince, I guess (laughs) Prince or Madonna. I did want to talk more about the actors and actresses. Jessica Lang mentioned this is her first film ever. Mm-hmm. And just a few short later years later, she's going to, you know, win an Academy Award, get nominated for I think another role. <laughs> and I mean, uh, she's also like won like I think it's like six Emmys. Oh yeah. She's got everything except a I've written my notes here, a Grammy. So she's very close to the EGOT as far as awards go. So I was mm. Does she have a Tony? Yes, she does. Awesome. Golden Globes, Tonys, Emmys, and yeah, she won it at the Oscar nineteen eighty three for, I think, supporting actress in Tootsie. Yeah, she did. Uh, which I rewatched recently, and great film. She's great in in everything she's in, but it it is really important to bear in mind if you watch this film, really no acting experience or training before, and she gives a great performance. She does. I I felt that a lot of the critics of the time were overly harsh on her. And it is. is. Well, I feel like a lot of those guys were like stuffy, like just didn't want anyone to to replace, you know, Fay Ray for whatever reason, whose performance is honestly fine. Um, (laughs) I I think that her character is not written extremely well, but I think Jessica Lange does exactly what she's asked to do. And for having no prior acting experience, does a phenomenal job. She beat out so many actual actresses, including Farrah Fawcett and Meryl Streep at the well, time. Like a Meryl lot of people Streep went up, didn't for get it. it for sexist reasons. <laughs> uh, well, I, I got a little confused at first. I thought it was Dino De Laurentiis' son that the story was about, but De Laurentiis' son brought in Meryl Streep to to read as she was doing theater in New York at the time. And uh, Dino told his son in front of her in Italian that she wasn't uh, beautiful enough. She was, una- she, yeah, yes, he said, she she was, was too unattractive. unattractive for the role. <laughs> yeah, in, in front of her. And, and the way she told the story is she speaks Italian. So answered him in Italian. And I mean, that's that's crazy. I, I, I will say I, I do think. Jessica Lange at the time maybe is more attractive than Meryl Streep, but yeah, I don't think she's I, know, I mean, like the, the thing is, that it doesn't woman. matter. Like that's not something you say, and <laughs> to, to someone I mean, in front of them, yeah, right. And I mean, history has sided with Meryl Streep on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will, I will stand up for Jessica Lange. She does a great job, and after this, she I mean, takes... again, this is this is not you know, parsing one against the other. I think both are tremendous actresses, and honestly. Uh, some of the best of the generation. It's interesting. Yeah. It's just so much raw talent because this is her first film, but supposedly Jessica Lange takes off a couple years from acting and does intense training as an actor and then comes back and, you know, we'll go on to win awards. Yeah. (laughs) 
Jeff Bridges is, like you said, great in everything he does as Jack Prescott in this film. He oozes liberal kind of snobbery academia in, in his role, but it's also kind of got a. But because he Harrison delivers it with Ford. such passion, it kind of keeps it from feeling snobbish, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got a Han Solo-esque vibe in his swagger in this film as well, which is which is really fun. I talk about Charles Golden already. He's just so good in everything he does. I I love Charles Golden so much. Oh, I mean, like, I mean, Clifford is in, one of my in, favorite. In, bad yeah, movies. I was about to bring up Clifford. Like, I I remember him as the kind of put upon adult in everything from my childhood. Whether it was you know yeah Beethoven or so I'm there an axe murderer or Clifford. Like, yeah, I remember him always that great adult comedian. To I remember him being me. in a ton more movies than. I, I think he just was in so many like prominent films I had seen. He wasn't in that many movies, but <laughs> no, but he did. He did a lot great of bean. like appearances yeah. and yeah. yeah, he would pop up here and there. And I, 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 I love Charles Grodin and he was also so iconic in the things that he did. So he felt everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gosh, Clifford was um, so much fun. He also did a lot of late night stuff. Right, right. Did you have a favorite scene from from I this, did. This um, weirdly enough, the scene where they have the big presentation of Kong, mm-hmm. because I was kind of finding myself disassociating from the movie at the time, being like, yeah, the, the, the special effects are cool. I love the emotive Kong, but, you know, I just don't care. And then they bring out Kong in this giant gas pump cage (laughs) and i was like up to the heavens this is the most unintentional amazing highlighting of the grotesquery of capitalism at large right now and this is this is brilliant and i'm i am almost a hundred percent sure from reading like everyone's thoughts in creating the movie this was not the intention they were just going for spectacle they talked about you know Petrox needing a, a slogan and a mascot. Like, right. Put a tiger in your tank and, <laughs> uh, and, we, and, and we, like, we're like, the king um, of gas. <laughs> Lorenzo Semple even said, like, you know, Dino wanted to be light and amusing and just basically a big spectacle. So I'm pretty sure this is very unintentional as a commentary, but looking back with a modern context, I'm like, wow, this is sharp. <laughs> and I mean, I remember laughing like like on purpose. Like not because something was bad. I was like, oh my God, this is this is amazing. Mm-hmm. When they roll out Kong in that giant gas pump. And I think that makes this movie in whether whether anyone intended to or not, a great commentary on what was happening at the time. And yeah. I, I mean th- th- that but that was big it's... points for me because I think I think this movie, even even when going back to when they're they're dealing with the uh, native tribe on the island, like big productions and everything, everyone looks, looks spectacular. But it still has that weird colonialistic white exceptionalism aspect, and I don't think that they're trying to do a commentary on it. Even though because everything is so over the top, it really kind of feels like satire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and I just. Again, whether or not it was intentional, like the read for me for this movie made that much better. I think some of my favorite scenes are with Dwan and Kong. The stuff that 
stands out in the 2005 version in any version of Kong where he is the sentimental kind of heart of the film, the interaction between him and humans that isn't, you know, murderous in one way or another, right. always stand out as very interesting. So, so those are really good. I, I think that... there's the infamous like breath drying scene. <laughs> yeah. In the... That, that can, I, I, it, that's a weird scene. I'm sorry. It's just an odd scene. Yeah, no, it, it, like I said, it's a, a love triangle kind of situation where Kong is trying to steal her away from uh, Jeff Bridges in the movie. Well, and, and But the wild thing is, I never get the impression that Dwan is romantically interested in Kong. I think she mm-hmm. cares about Kong as <clears throat> a creature. And as a living being, I don't think she has. It's it's certainly not the way that some other representations of the story go, where the the actress is has romantic feelings for Kong. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think they they do better with that relationship and and. Each representation of Kong, Kong Skull Island doesn't really have that at all. But no, <laughs> Godzilla versus King Kong has a, a great Kong human relationship at, at play here where he yes. literally like learns the language, learns the sign language of his his uh, his young friend. This film was technically a box office success. Big success. Um, but yeah, it it. It wasn't the top movie of the year. It, it it wasn't able to knock off Rocky that came out the same year. The the Oscar. Well, I mean, nineteen seventy six was a tough year. <laughs> there was stiff yeah. competition. Well, yeah, R- Rocky was the top ticket sales internationally for seventy six, and A Star Is Born. A Star Is Born, I think, technically did better domestically. But yeah, this movie was so expensive, so risky that. They did it and they did it by the skin of their teeth. This wasn't like a runaway, you know, after, you know, probably advertising and stuff. It maybe doubled the the cost it, it took to, to make the film. So they want to make a sequel for another decade. <laughs> you know, if this was a, a runaway hit, you'd think they would try to push something forward because they had ideas for for sequels, you know, potentially be made immediately. But no Son of Kong in this situation, at least. No, um, and and and. The the film that they do end up making is not a shining jewel in <laughs> well, in the 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 Kong world. I mean, we'll, I think it has a zero percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Well, we'll talk about it when we get to it. But it did this this film seventy six's King Kong did have a lot of good reviews at the time, including Roger Ebert, who like us sang the praises of the the cast. But yeah, a trend with a lot of the reviews of the time, maybe. Our review tonight is going to mimic that is this film did not capture what the original was able to do in 1933. Didn't have the same action, excitement or energy to it. I look not a big Kong person and it's going to be reflecting in my scores tonight as well. I kind of find that kind of opinion to be hogwash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be perfectly honest. I, I I think there is some sentimentality to the classics that we give above anything that is currently modern. This is not a, a surprise to anyone who listen, who's listened to this podcast, but I do sometimes think that there are certain movies that like 
people just give a pass to forever, whether or not it's it's really warranted. And like, yes, I understand the academic importance of 1933's film. But if you plop someone down and make them watch both of these movies, well, one, <laughs> they'll be like, where's Godzilla? Because that's the important question. <laughs> but but two, say that they, they will 100% say, I much more appreciate watching this one because without the historical context, the first one is fine. But yeah. I don't, I, 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 I would challenge anyone to say, oh, this is a more fun movie to watch. This is a better viewing experience just because it holds academic importance. I, and I, I, will, I, I think that a lot of critics are are weighing that importance when they're talking about remaking <laughs> these films. Well, we we weight our scores for these films with a a kind of a legacy category or a um as art category, and the original does score a lot of points because it is just so groundbreaking for the time. Sure, and I it do is think- groundbreaking and it is academically impl- academically important and nothing mm-hmm. can take that away from it. But I don't think we have to like handhold that movie for all time just because yeah. like technology gets better and we get further separated from it like you're you're not going to convince little Johnny that 1933's Godzilla or 1933's King Kong is a more spectacular film than 76's just because it's more important. But there is a dinosaur in the 33 version, Miles. Oh, man. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just, we, we got to talk about that because the, the, the one fight one. they put in here is absolute hogwash. It's the yeah. worst part of this movie. Like, why why even do it if, if you're going to do it? Yeah, well, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it. We'll get to our reviews, but not much of a legacy for this film outside of that 1986 sequel. This movie did have, at the time... A three-hour TV cut that was broadcast over two nights on NBC. NBC bought the rights to air this movie, I think, two years after it came out, so maybe 1978, for $19.5 million, which is the highest. Yeah, so 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 uh, so amount. add that on top of its like yeah, his box office gross, I mean, yeah. Well, and then you know, you get into you know the put this out on Betamax and VHS when those became popular. And I'm sure that did a, a, a good amount of business business for, for the, the company. There were plans for sequel films. Like I said, King Kong in Africa, the bionic Kong, maybe to cash in on the $6 million man craze of the seventies, but none of them were made obviously, unfortunately. For us, <laughs> this is the only <laughs> Kong of the the seventies, only official Kong. You say unfortunately, but I I disagree. Well, let's get to our let's get to our ratings. Um, sure. For for our personal enjoyment, I gave this an eight out of ten. Like I said, it's been a while since I've rewatched it, and there are so many things this movie has going for it. You know, like I said, for the cast and crew, the the special effects. I'm still missing some of the sense of action and adventure from the original. It feels like they're taking those plot points and beats, but you know, like the famous log scene is recreated here. And I was much more worried for the characters in the 1933 film than, than this one. And yeah, snake doesn't make up for, for no dinosaurs. So eight out of 10 for me, miles. What about you? Seven out of 10 for me. I, I, Again, I, I'm not a big Kong person, so it's already losing points for that. <laughs> I think this is honestly for all the movies that have aped King Kong since 1933. This remake head and shoulders above anything else that's come out. 
Yeah, obviously. Like the, the, it, it is a very competent movie. If you were a Kong person or at least like King Kong, you are going to be a fan. I've just never been a big Kong person, but this this is a, a very solid production. I'm not actively bored with my time here, and I think it does a good job making you emotionally invested in the character of Kong. I think the script does have plenty of problems. I, I agree with you. I think the pacing is very, very slow in this film. Mm-hmm. And, and, and judging by that, yes, there like the, the original does have some more adventurous clips, whether or not it's better. I really can't say because I mean, I, I I'm on record as to not loving the original as much as everyone else does. So, I mean, for, for my pure personal enjoyment, yeah, it's seven out of 10 because I, I think it's an above average experience, but it's not great for me because I mean, one, it's a story that we have seen again. We will continue to see it's been aped many times and they don't do anything actively interesting with that story other than tell it pretty decently. Mm-hmm. And even then, I think it's got some, some issues doing that. So yeah, in personal enjoyment, I, 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 like I said, it's above average for me, but I'm, I'm not in love with it. Or what I am film, in love yes. with is the technical aspect of this film. I, I, yeah. I, I actually am really impressed. I think, despite the fact that I think the the script has pacing and character issues, the sets are fantastic. The direction is dynamic. The special effects are incredible. The emotive faces that Kong makes especially when you compare it to the absolute hottest of garbage masks that we have seen in the, in the past and we'll see from here on out, this movie is head and shoulders above all of that. And despite the fact that, yes, it's a little sluggish in its script, I think all of the actors deliver exactly what they were asked to do and some more so. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10 for its technical aspect. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at as well. I think this film is technically a marvel. It is crazy that, you know, it, it was in production from start to finish in like less than 10 months. You know, you, you'd think this would uh, require some more time to get these these kind of special effects created, you know, from the large scale to the the small. The locations, just the locations alone for this movie make for a beautiful watch in, in so many of those Hawaii locales. It really does feel like you're transported somewhere else, someplace you've never seen before, even though it is just Hawaii. And like I said, I really do like the music, even though it does threaten to put me to sleep at points in this film, <laughs> but yeah, technical nine out of 10 for its evocative nature as a piece of Kaiju art. This is where I'm digging at the most points because Remakes are fine. We're going to see a number of remakes, especially for our big characters like King Kong and, and Godzilla. But for me, this doesn't capture the feel of the original, of the Marvel, the whimsy. I, I mentioned the three-way love triangle between Conlang and, and Bridges, but it th- that addition to the legacy of Kong isn't enough to really propel, in my opinion, the, the kaiju canon forward, you know? Because we're gonna we're gonna see that in other movies like this. I don't know if this might be like one of the first kaiju human friendship kind of kind of deals, but yeah, this doesn't make up for the pain and the suffering that you've had to go through in all the King Kong copycats and and ripoffs. Some still to come in this this decade and for this genre as a whole. Yeah, the the fact that it what's the score giving it for its evocative nature a six out of ten. So 
So Good. so here here I am, mm-hmm. the 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 ape hater giving a higher score for its evocative nature than how you. Dare, how dare you, Biles? What, what's your so, score? So here's the thing. I, I disagree about its contributions to the kaiju canon mm-hmm. purely because the fact that Universal based the confrontation ride off the 76 Kong. <laughs> and, but, and I know it's funny, but that Kong was so iconic to kids our age who never even saw King Kong, but through mm-hmm. cultural osmosis knew what Kong was. That gave life to King Kong for over a decade through the 90s and the early 2000s. I think it gave way to the mummy ride uh, when mm-hmm. it was finally shut down. But I, I would say that that the the impact this movie had was honestly better than the, the impact of the, the initial film itself because that version of Kong was King Kong to millions of kids. It's true, but because this movie didn't do, you know, what would become star Wars numbers. Sure. But I mean, it's King Kong. So who cares? Well, it it didn't light up the box office in a way that made other studios want to make Kaiju films here in America. We're we're not going to get absolutely true. It's, I mean, I will, I will absolutely concede that it's, it's impact was certainly delayed because that King Kong ride, the Kongification or confrontation didn't come out to what, like 89, 91. Mm. So a good 15, 20 years Later, it's certainly a delayed response, but I will I would contend that the fact that that image of King Kong to so many kids and sparking that imagination for people who wanted to check Kong out for an entirely different generation, I think counts for something. And so I'm and and I get this is going to be a a weighted grade for me, but I I come down enough on the monkey. So I'm going to I'm going to forgive myself for it. Uh I'm giving it an eight out of ten for it. Oh my God, Miles! Oh my, oh my goodness gracious! I cannot believe I'm the saving grace of the the freaking monkey movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That well, like I, I just want to finish off my my thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I I I do think it is a great film. I think it is a beautiful film. Yeah, I okay. don't think, as far as the genre goes, this helped the genre too much. Like we're gonna see other. Well, Kind of I mean, this, this goes into my Kong's not a kaiju section. Oh, he's, so he's, he's very much a kaiju. But yeah, it's it's more of an, a normal movie. It is. If you're going it to take. It doesn't feel like a kaiju film. I, I do agree yeah. with that. It if if like you're going film. to take the the concept of King Kong or Godzilla or any of the, the classic kaiju and give it to Hollywood, th- this does feel like the kind of safe movie that they are going to make. Like you said, that would appeal to your disaster artist fans or you know just fans of they they probably build this very much as part love story part adventure and it kind of suffers in a lot of those categories so great movie movie i would say but not great kaiju movie so that that's why my my personal enjoyment is a little higher than my evocative nature as as a piece of art miles this is the last thing I thought was going to happen. I thought I was, <laughs> you know, well, because my personal enjoyment here. lays it out there for you. Like, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I think the movie's, you know, perfectly fine. I think it's, I think it's, I do think this movie's more important than people give it credit for. And because mm-hmm. it is kind of the forgotten Kong movie for some people, even though like I, we, it might've been our first Kong, but well, people think of the original Kong, they think of Peter Jackson's or the current one fighting Godzilla I, or I will, soon to be teaming up with Godzilla. Yeah, I, I will say I think you're you're right in this 
version of Kong is what is going to be more iterative in the rest of the ones that we're going to to watch. I love Peter Jackson's Kong, and that one has so much character, and I, I do too. think it's based on on this one much more than obviously the original King Kong. Who, um, yeah, was, I, I, can't, was, I can't believe you made me the, the 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 good guy for Kong. Well, good guy. We're we're our scores are off by point three percent. I've given it a seven point six, and you an eight miles, which means our podcast final. So mad for, that I'm the reason this is getting a higher score. <laughs> well, you'd have to go lower than than me to to do that but um, i typically both, do that's the thing <laughs> both of our scores are are weighted up to an eight out of ten so the podcast final is an eight out of ten which is perfectly I'm, fine i'm comfortable with that i mean i i do it think is. this is above average little. i don't think it's great but i think it's it's a low eight that's fine it is one point lower than the original 1933 kong that that we gave so that that holds true the same with a lot of other people's scoring for the film that is great on our scale and exciting and enlightening as as far as our grades go, eight out of ten. And I I would agree to that. I do think your mileage may vary depending upon if you're like in monkeys. love with these actors like we are. The yeah, the 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 style of film. Yeah, they they want to set it in the modern age just to get those twin towers in there, Miles, and that that's they look an interesting, great. They interesting look great. finale. Yeah, well, it's so funny. I don't know if you ever got to visit them, but they're just ugly, ugly. They were ugly buildings. <laughs> like they're not interesting. There's a reason why he likes to climb the Empire State Building. It's a beautiful building. <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about those buildings anymore. So, yeah. oh boy, it is. It Sorry, is. Sorry, you kind of set that one up. They shoehorned in. It's like, oh, it looks like those two giant mountains on Skull Island that we never. I actually by liked name. that. I, I I actually thought that was pretty fun. It's like just it's really shoehorned in. Why why can't just Jeff Bridges be like? Well, because I mean, wasn't uh, wasn't one of those buildings gonna... at the time brand new? Uh, yeah, they were built in 1973. So, so I mean, that's I mean that yeah, I, I can absolutely see why they did that. That's why they wanted in the movie. And uh, yeah, when they were filming those scenes, apparently they shut down Manhattan because like ten times the amount of extras that they needed showed up to to be part of the you know Kong's dead scene at the end of the the film. They got in a lot what of trouble. Weird. What a weird scene to end on. Like it just stays on like Kong's corpse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ending's not great. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's episode. We got a long one this week in, in King Kong. I didn't know we'd. Yeah. I, I knew I'd be able to talk. Also, a didn't lot love about how bloody. Like, they, it, I'm fine with blood in, in these movies, but like the grotesque death of Kong. Like, if there had been blood throughout the rest of the movie, it'd been fine. Oh. But like, it's it's fairly clean, and then all of a sudden they just say. like shoot Kong, and like it's red paint everywhere. Wait, wait until next week's. Oh, I, I know, I know. That's going to do it. Thank you for listening to us. You can email us at kaiju versus history at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at kaiju versus history. And we do read those comments. And even though it, it may take months for us to get back to you like, in <laughs> podcast form, we record these uh, pretty far in advance. Uh, we do appreciate them. And check out our new and upcoming episodes on kaiju versus history.com. Uh, we've got a letter boxed, and uh, you can find our reviews on there and uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to comment, rate, and or review, we would appreciate it. Miles, what is happening next week? It's more monkey madness, isn't it? Uh, yes, we are still knee deep in Kong mania. And we look to another wild Shaw Brothers production out of Hong Kong with its own take on the King of the Apes. That's right. Tune in next week for History versus 
the mighty Peking man.